Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Kaniti, I have gotten ish, a man, et, who is, doesn't mean from, who is, the Lord. Now that's important because it shows that from the moment that God made this promise of the rescuing Messiah that it would come to the woman, that it was going to be God in the form of a man. So that godly remnant since Eve has been looking for who is this man who's God? Where is he? And that's why verse 8 in chapter 49, this great declaration that the rescuing Messiah man would, who would be God was going to come through Judah was so important. So important. Now, therefore, in this chapter, it's revealed then how all the other tribes, all the other brothers were going to to support the Messiah. Now, we see in verse one, we see in verse one, it says here, Jacob called unto his sons. Now, from that statement, we can see how probably, how did he do that? Probably messengers just went out all over to, to find the sons of Jacob, wherever they were. Maybe some of them were in the fields and some were in, were in homes, who knows? And the messengers came and, and they told that, look, you know, your father, Jacob, is summoning you to, to his bed, which is really his deathbed. And so now Jacob, they come in and Jacob, he's not lying down. He's sitting up. It took all the strength he had to be able to sit up, prop himself up into a sitting position on his bed. And that's the way his sons find him when they enter into this room. So from verse one, we start to feel the urgency that Jacob is feeling. He has something really important to say to his sons, and it's not just goodbye. And, you know, this is kind of interesting. He calls all of his sons together. You know, many people, when they are dying, they don't want a large gathering of people around them when they die. I mean, they're hurting, they're uncomfortable, they're, mi- they're just miserable, and the last thing they want to do is to have to entertain or be hospitable to a crowd when they are dying. And they just want a couple of their loved ones around them, and that's all. But not Jacob. Not Jacob. Jacob is so much not thinking of himself and his condition at this time that he seems to be almost oblivious to himself as he feels so compelled to get this message out that's in his heart. So Jacob calls for all his sons to be around him, and here they all come, and he's going to tell them the prophecies that he's, that he's filled with. Now, we really get this sense here as we're reading this that Jacob has got something very important to say, and so we feel this importance. Okay, as soon as they all come in the house, Jacob tells them in verse 1, gather yourselves together. And what he was saying, that the 12 sons, you should assemble yourselves. You should assemble yourselves in the order of your birth, right? You know, Reuben should be first, and then there would be Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah, and so forth. Now, just think of what Jacob saw at that time. 
he looks at all his sons. And, and, and by the way, when he looks at all his sons, he's thinking, that's very comforting for me. What a comfort it was for Jacob to look and see all his children around him. And as he looked around, there was not one missing. They were all 12 of them were there. And that was amazing. That was a comfort to him because he thought for sure that the day would never come, at this day would never come when he would be able to look and see all his, his children around him as he was preparing to leave earth. I mean, there was a time, and it wasn't very long ago, and we just read it, in Genesis 42:36, Genesis 42:36, when Jacob said, and Jacob their father said unto them, me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I wonder, since Jacob said that, I wonder what he was thinking now as he looked at all his children around him and remember how he had said, I've been bereaved of my children and I'm not gonna see Joseph any longer in this life and I'm not gonna see Simeon any longer in this life and I'm probably not gonna see Benjamin. I'm about to not see Benjamin any longer in this life. I wonder what he was thinking as he looked at all of them. He looked at Joseph. He already said what he thought about Joseph in the last chapter, verse 11, Genesis 48, 11, 48, 11, Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God has showed me also thy seed. So I wonder what Jacob thought as he looked at Simeon and he looked at Benjamin and he thought, I thought for sure I'd never see you again. I mean, what a sense of completion this was for him to, to be able to look at all his sons and, and he thinks to himself, they're all here, they're all here. You know, it reminds me, every time I go down to the koi pond at home, you know, the first thing I do, I count them. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Got them. Just to make sure that they're all, just to make sure that a raccoon or a blue heron didn't get one of them. I've learned to count to 13 really fast. <laughs> and it's not easy because the black koi, he blends in with the bottom of the pond. So it's the kind of, and you got to count quick because they're moving, the koi are moving, so he can't, otherwise you're gonna double count, you get very frustrating, believe me. Anyway, I can imagine that Jacob, well, not that say that the Jacob's sons were koi fish, but anyway, I can imagine Jacob sitting there and counting to 12 and saying like me, you know, like me with the koi fish, yep, they're all here, they're all here. Reminds me of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's kind of doing his count also, He's doing his account of those who trusted in him when he said to God the Father in John 17, 12, John 17, 12, when I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. How can you say that? None of them is lost. Because he counted them. Because you went through. And just imagine the Lord Jesus doing this quick count and making sure they're all accounted for him. Yep, none of them is lost. They're all safe and accounted for so with his sons now gathered all around him or all together, J Jacob could think to himself, boy, now I've showed my sons or I've tried to show my sons how to live. Now I get to show them how to die. So he looks over his sons and you can imagine it, when he looks over his sons, he sees some, he's some of pretty stubborn characters. Not that any of us are any like that. So it's not. And I wonder if Jacob didn't think to himself at that time what God had told him in Genesis 32, 28, Genesis 32, 28, when he said, God said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. I wonder if Jacob was just sitting there thinking to himself, 
It was easier to prevail with God than it will be with these sons of mine. It's going to be hard. So all his sons now, they're gathered all around, and Jacob starts off, you know, with his, you know, well, you're probably wondering why I called this meeting <laughs> statement. But right off the bat, he says in verse 1, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So he tells them, I want to tell you what's going to befall you in the last days. Now, actually, the Hebrew reads, I will tell you that which shall befall you in the end of the days. So now when when Jacob speaks about the last days, or as I said in the Hebrew, it says the end of the days, this term, the last days, the end of the days, and the latter times, it's commonly used in the Bible. It's commonly used. For example, Paul used that term in the latter times when he was speaking to Timothy, and he wanted to explain to him some are going to leave the faith and give in to deception. So he said in 1 Timothy 4.1, 1 Timothy 4.1, that the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then Paul told Timothy that in the last days it was going to be hard to live. It was going to be hard to, to cope with those times when he said in 2 Timothy 3.1, 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, difficult times to live on, live in. We know what that's like. And Peter, Peter said that in the last days, there's going to be mockers, people making fun and just following their sinful lusts. If it feels good, do it. In 2 Peter 3.3, 2 Peter 3.3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Mockers following their own lusts. It's been around for a long time. All those descriptions have been going on for thousands of years so, so that would put the latter times for at least the last 2,000 years. And the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that it's in the last days that the Lord Jesus is going to speak to us in Hebrews 1, 2, in Hebrews 1, verse 2, that the Lord Jesus hath in these last, God rather, God hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Well, when did he start to speak to us by his son? About 2,000 years ago. So basically, we understand from the phrase in verse 1, the last days, it means that just later on, you know, later on, that Joseph, Jacob was speaking. And we see that Jacob uses a very interesting word when he talks about what's going to happen in the last days. And he says in verse 1, that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, befall is an interesting word. I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word befall? What do you think of? Yeah, you don't have control over it, you know? You know, like that, like that pine cone that's going to fall off the tree and hit you in the head. It's falling. You don't have control over it, you know? In other words, it's something that's going to fall to you. It means it's something you don't have any control over. It means that these are inevitable events is what you're talking about. And now that raises the question, how can Jacob be so sure? How can he be so sure he's going to say this is going to happen? Now, of course, you know, Jacob is under the inspiration of God when he's giving these prophecies, but Jacob is not saying, God told me. How many times have I heard that? God told me. I thought, that's funny. He didn't tell me. But anyway, but he didn't say these things. God told me these things. 
But there, nevertheless, there's a certainty in Jacob of what he's saying. You know, there's no, I think so, or I'm pretty sure, or it looks likely like this is gonna happen. No, 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 just, just a definiteness with Jacob, what he's saying. And the question is, how could he be so sure? How could Jacob be so sure as he goes through each of his sons that this was gonna happen? I mean, he's predicting their destinies. And well, the reason is, is because Jacob has had a lot of time to study each of his boys. Well, as a matter of fact, he's had all the time that they've been alive to carefully study each of his sons. I mean, he's been constantly with his sons. He's gotten to know them really well. I mean, he's worked with them in their family agriculture business or goat business. Sounds too painfully close to home. And as a result, Jacob has gotten to know their individual characters. He's gotten to know their their individual dispositions. And he knows how each one of them are so different from each other. Now, with all that knowledge, Jacob now in this chapter announces to them their individual destinies because he knows even though they're all brothers and as individuals, they're all different as night and day. You know, Cheryl and I, we had our three boys, and they were with us since they were born until their last years of high school because they were homeschooled. And I worked very closely with the boys because we had 300 goats around our house, and they were part of the business that was centered in the garage. So we were always with our boys. And Cheryl and I often noticed the striking differences in their dispositions and the, and the, in the individual ways for our three boys. You know, our firstborn David, he's the accomplisher. You know, he's the personification of perpetual motion. He's like the perpetual motion machine. Only sometimes I would call him the impulsive motion machine. <laughs> for example, during his devotions, he was always impressed with the challenge to rise up to action. So we chose one word to describe David, and that was the word act. He was act. Now, on the other hand, we had our second-born Joseph, and he was a thinker. Joseph was just pleasant and is pleasant to be with. He's the personification of peacefulness. You know, if Joseph has a choice between thinking and working, he'd rather think than work. As a matter of fact, I'm sure he thinks that he was damaged for life and the fact that he was raised on a goat farm with 300 goats. But during Joseph's devotions, Joseph would be impressed with studying the shepherds who left their flocks at the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus, and his favorite verse would have, would have been, immediately they left their flocks. And so the one word that we used to describe Joseph is think. He was think. And our third-born Joshua, he was the affectionate one, and he liked to draw. He was artistic. He liked to draw Bible scenes, and always impressed with the Lord as the tender shepherd. And so the one word that we used to describe Joshua was the word feel. So we had act, think, and feel. That was our boys. All very different. Just as all of these 12 sons of Jacob were very different from each other. And just as Cheryl and I noticed predominant patterns in the lives of our three boys, Jacob has noticed predominant patterns in the lives of his 12 sons. And these predominant patterns are like genes. They're like the genes. They're like the, the, the genes that are expressed and will continue to be expressed. And this is the basis that for Jacob making all these definite prophecies about his 12 sons. Now, we see in verse 2 what Jacob says again. Again, he repeats. He says in verse 2, gather yourselves together. 
and hear you sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. Okay, so the fact that he has repeated for the second time that the sons were to be to gather themselves shows that when the sons all got together, that they were just mingling. I don't know what they were doing, but they were not totally conscious of the importance of what Jacob was about to say to them. So he again tells them, assemble yourselves, you know, gather in your birth order, and so like, like, like we were going to eat, like when the birth, like, you know, the food from, comes first to me at the head of the table, then I pass it to my right to Reuben, he's the firstborn, and then, you know, sorry about that, Benjamin. Anyway, so there they are, they're together for the last time with their father, just like they had assembled many, many times around the table for a meal with their father and, and so forth. And now the second call. And the sons have assembled, and the, the, solemnity, the solemnness of this time has gripped them. So all eyes are fixed now on Jacob. And they realize their, their father's about to die, and he's got some last words for each of them. Now, Jacob knows he's going to die. His son knows that Jacob's going to die. And he has something very important to say to them before he dies. Now, you can't look at a scene like this without thinking of the Lord Jesus. You can't look at a scene, a scene like this of a loving, caring father speaking to his sons without thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ before he was to die and before he was going to leave his disciples. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting. When you look at the whole of the book of John, such an important book, the book of John, you know about 20% of that book is actually dedicated to what the Lord Jesus had to say to his disciples before he died. It starts in chapter 13, it goes to 14, 15, 16, 17. And these last words of the Lord Jesus before he, he died, before he died, it starts in John 13 with a statement in John 13, 1. John 13, 1, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So what does that show? It shows us that the Lord Jesus, that what the Lord Jesus had to say to his disciples before he died was motivated by love, was motivated by love. Then in the next chapter, chapter 14, John chapter 14, he plants a hope in his disciples, a hope that's supposed to displace fear in the future. As he says in John 14, 1, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So that hope that he was putting into their minds was that the Lord Jesus was going to prepare an individual dwelling place that was suited for each one of his disciples. He also studied and knew the predominant dispositions. And he says, I'm going to make a place just just for you. For, for David, there's going to be a lot of work. There will be a big work garage there, I guess. I don't know. And they were to think about that and, and not let their hearts be troubled. And then in the 15th chapter of John, he told them, I want you to remember the secret of your success. You'll do fine if you remember this, John 15, 1. If you remember that I am the true vine and my father is a husbandman, So he exhorted them to remember the dependence of the branch on the vine. And they were the branch. They were the branches. And he was the vine. And then in the next chapter, chapter 16, again, he he gives them another reason why he was telling them all these things before he died. In John 16, 1, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, 
that you should not be offended, John 16, 1. So he knew hard times are coming for his disciples. He wanted them to hold on to his words so that they wouldn't be offended. And then, finally, in chapter 17, when we get to 18, it all starts, the arrest and so forth. But in chapter 17, John 17, 1, here he is giving, he's turning from them, but within earshot so that they can hear him as he gives his final report to the Father. And in John 17, 1, he said, these words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. And then he goes through a whole thing in John in John 17 that they can all hear. So that's the loving father. Okay, this is the loving father now, Jacob, who is speaking to his sons. He's chosen very significant terms to refer to his sons and to refer to himself in verse two. What title did Jacob choose for calling his sons in verse two? It's not a hard question. It's written there, verse two. Sons of Jacob, that's it. Sons of Jacob, okay. What title did Jacob choose for calling himself in verse two? Israel, Israel, okay. No, those terms are very significant, very significant, because he calls his sons, he's sons of Jacob. Jacob. Jacob was the name given to Jacob at his birth, obviously, okay. Was the name given to his birth? Was his name given to him before he was a saved man? Jacob was the, was the name that God told Jacob he never wanted to use that name anymore. God said, I've had enough of that name. I don't want it here to use it anymore. In Genesis 32, 28, Genesis 32, 28, he said, God said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. And later, God repeated that to Jacob. They didn't want to call him anymore Jacob. In Genesis 35.10, Genesis 35.10, God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob. Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, 
plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, full-color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. 